Good morning. We do have several of our folks out, but we also want to say how grateful we are for several who are visiting with us. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to say up front, I'm not going to get every place that I know we have visitors from, but I know we have visitors from places as far away as Louisiana and Arkansas and at least half Colorado and uh, other places in Kentucky. And so we're glad to have you in our midst. Uh, and uh, feel free, don't be bashful, to turn to the person beside you after services and introduce yourself. You may both be visitors. And so uh, we are just are grateful that you're in our, our midst. We're also thankful for the good things that have been going on here at Lehman. We're grateful for, we talked about Shelby as she was here, but we've not had a chance to acknowledge that uh, uh, Andrew Wilson obeyed the gospel just a few days ago. Uh, they went to Mount Pleasant right after that, and so uh, they're here this morning, and we're glad of his decision, um, and so we're grateful for that. Water displacement number 40 it was a chemical compound that three technicians who were working at the San Diego Rocket Chemical Company stumbled upon in their work to try to find some way to prevent rust and to protect the rocket missile parts that they and their plant worked on. And so as they did that, it was the 40th formulation of a water displacement compound. And yet, to so many people, it will ever only always be a substance that's used to handle those squeaky hinges or rusty bicycle chains. But maybe you did not know that it also, at least some people use it to keep flies off of cows. Did you know that? Or to remove lipstick stains. I understand that it's really good for relieving the itch and the pain of ant bites. It's good for restoring leather dashboards and vinyl bumpers. It will keep pigeons off of balconies. And according to the WD-40 fan club, it has over 2,000 additional uses. But for a lot of people, it will ever only be used for those squeaky hinges. And for the people who make up the WD-40 fan club, what a tragically one-dimensional view of that substance. When you look at Jesus, what do you see? Some people have a tragically one-dimensional view of Jesus. If they were to be asked who Jesus is, they would say Jesus is a historical figure. Or maybe they might say that he is one who we would consider a great teacher or a philosopher. And yet when we open up scripture, we see that he is so much more than that. When we ask a question like, who is Jesus or why Jesus, it is what we might call an existential question. It is one of those very basic questions that we've got to give thought to and give a proper answer to. And there's no place in scripture that does as good a job or better a job of that than the book of Hebrews, which represents Jesus from beginning to end as one who has no peer, has no superior, has no equal. In fact, when you begin to read the book of Hebrews, you come to understand that Jesus is greater than anyone and everyone and everything. 
And so when we read that God who long ago, after he spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, has in these last days spoken unto us in his Son, whom he has made heir of all things, and by whom he made the worlds, and he is the radiance of his glory, in the exact representation of his nature, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, uh, being much better than the angels, whereby he has been given a more excellent name than they. Now this is the preamble to the rest of the letter to the Hebrews and yet in those four verses I think we find at least four answers to that existential question, why Jesus? In a world where people are seeking purpose and guidance and want to know a direction for their lives, the answer to that question has a far greater impact than maybe we think when we first ask it. I think the Hebrews writer gives us four great answers to that question. Why Jesus? First of all, I would suggest to you that the Hebrews writer tells you the answer is Jesus because of what he said. When we begin the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that God has had various ways to communicate to people throughout time. That God has never left us without a means of communication. In the very earliest parts of time, God spoke directly to the fathers. He would give them specific commands. He would tell them the requirements that he had for them. And I'm talking Adam or Noah or Abraham. But more than once we have looked at the various ways in which God communicated in ways that were different from one another and yet it was God. Whether we're talking about the burning bush where God appears to Moses or if we're talking about the donkey whereby God speaks through that donkey to Balaam or if we're talking about the angel that comes to Manoah, the father of Jonah. Or if it's that small still voice that Elijah hears in 1 Kings chapter 19. Or if it's that disembodied hand that appears to Belshazzar and Daniel tells him exactly what that message from God is. God has always made sure that we know what it is that he wants us to do. He has given us communication in words. But the Hebrews writer tells us that God saved his best work for last. He has in these last days spoken unto us in his son. And Jesus is often suggesting to us that the message that he speaks is a message that he got from the Father. At least four times in the book of John, you'll find Jesus saying something similar. That is, that the words I speak, these are not from my own authority. They did not come of my own initiative. But the Father, he is his works. I speak as the Father has given me these words. Look at John 8, verse 28, and John 8, and verse 38. John 12, and verse 49, and John 14, and verse 10. Over and again, Jesus is saying that this message is divine. It comes from a heavenly source. It comes from the Father. And when you examine the content, what is it said in John chapter 8 and verse 46? No one ever convicts him of sin. His word is perfect. When we think about the message of Jesus, the fact that it comes from the Father means that it is not a take it or leave it proposition. That because that message is heavenly, then we have the power of statements like Jesus makes in Matthew 28, 18 when he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Or in Colossians 3 and verse 17 where he says that whatever, or Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we sit here today in 2022, we're not waiting for a messenger to come along with a message like his or better than his because that's not going to happen. 
The first answer to the question why Jesus is because of what he said. In John 14, 26 and John 16, 13, Jesus indicates that when he leaves, that the Spirit was going to move the apostles and the prophets to give that message to the people. And every time we open up our New Testament, we have it. Why Jesus? Because of the very message that you hold in your hand. I believe that that would be sufficient if that were the only answer. But then the Hebrews writer goes deeper and he answers that question in in another equally impactful way. Why Jesus? Second, because of who he is. You know, so often it's hard for us, especially when it comes to the writing of history, to know what's truth and what's fiction, but the story I'm about to tell you is reported to be true. It involved a very frustrated Confederate soldier right after the Civil War. This man wanted an audience with the president, but every time he tried to go into the White House, there were guards that would cross their bayonets and they would send him away. A little boy came upon that soldier as he stood outside of the White House and he asked, the little boy asked him why he was so sad. And the man explained that his land was taken away from him after the war was over. And the little boy said to him, follow me. And as the soldier went with the little boy up to the doors of the White House, those guards, instead of crossing their bayonets, they stood aside and they opened the door and they allowed the boy and his guest to go inside. And as they went inside, the boy led him right to the library where the president was resting and the man was able to plead his case. That man, that soldier, got an audience with the president because of the president's son. No one else was going to be able to do in that situation what the son could do. But in an infinitely greater way, isn't it so that because of who Jesus is, we have an audience with his father that we would not be able to have otherwise. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a fourfold description of who Jesus is in order for us to build our conviction on why Jesus. Why Jesus? The first answer is because he is the heir. He is made heir of all things. You see that in verse 2? And the impact of that is that the heir it has the power and the influence and the respect that the parents possess. And so Jesus gives us access to the Father. This idea of him being the heir of all things is communicated when Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 9, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My inheritance... My spiritual inheritance is going to come only through Jesus. Everything that I'm entitled to, I get because Jesus is the heir. And thus, I see that part of his description and it's important. He is the heir. But then he also tells us, the Hebrews writer does, that he is the creator. When I see that description of him, I see that uh, it says, By him he made all the worlds. And when I contemplate that part of his nature, I see how Colossians 1 and verse 16, as we walk through the New Testament, confirms that by saying all things were made through him and were made for him. And without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1 and verse 3. 
The Hebrews writer points to us and it uses a word when he says by him he made the worlds. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews 11 and verse 3 where it says by faith we understand that the worlds were made by the word of God. That word for world doesn't just mean earth. It means the whole universe. And so as we consider the creative work of Jesus and we think about the vastness of all that there is, we understand that scientists tell us that the observable universe is 92 billion light years across, but because it's flat, it's thought to be uh, infinite, it's endless. When we consider the complexity of outer space and the jaw-dropping size and, and mass of it all, we realize that the entire universe and every particle that fills it was made by Jesus. And Jesus' creative power is seen in every cell of our bodies. This Jesus whom is depicted for us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 is the great creator of it all. I don't know if you know this or not. I just ran across it recently. The words that Charles Darwin said about the eye on page 167 of the book his landmark book, Origin of Species. Modern evolutionary texts are built upon a conviction that what Darwin said was true. And he talks about the eye. And he says, when I examine the eye and I see its ability to adjust to different lights and to the different shapes and to correct the uh, 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 chromatic and the uh, other aberrations that it must, he says, to consider that that was made by natural selection, I confess, is absurd in the highest degree. The father of modern evolutionary thought says that when I look at what is designed, and, and when it's the eye, or if it's the cells, or if it's the universe, that's just part of the creative power of God. And as I answer that question, who is, why Jesus? And I see it's because of who he is, and he is the creator. That's just one facet of who he is. Then the Hebrews writer says that he is deity. When I come to understand something about his nature, there are, are two statements that he makes. He says that he is the glory, the radiance of his glory. This is the idea that he is the image of the invisible God in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. That he demonstrates to us God, he's the radiance of God. We see the shining of God through Jesus we also see he's the exact representation of his nature. This word representation is only found in this verse in the New Testament. And what it means is he is an exact duplicate. When you look at the attributes and the character and the qualities of the Father, you see it in the Son. And yet Jesus is a separate personality from the Father. And yet he says in John 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are one. There's a fourth part of that description. When we see who Jesus is... Certainly we see that he is the heir and we get our inheritance through him. He is the creator for sure. He is deity, but he is also the sustainer. When we look at verse 3, we see that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. I want you to think about all that's happening right now that you have no control over but something that we take for granted constantly. You know that the earth is going 1,040 miles an hour right now. Does it make you feel a little dizzy to think about that? But, but you, it's, you're sitting perfectly still. 
Did you know that any given time that there are two million or more asteroids that are at least a, a, a kilometer wide or more? And yet we don't think about the fact that that's being taken care of. We don't have to worry about that. What about the tides? What about the seasons? What about the orbit of the earth and the planets? Do you know why that's still going on? Because Jesus is holding those things together. He is allowing it to continue in an orderly fashion that he has created the material universe so that it will come. Someday the word is going to come and he's going to bring it all to an end and this earth will be destroyed, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But for now, it continues by the word of his power. The Hebrews writer is laying the groundwork for who Jesus is and there's his incontrovertible word but then there's his nature, who he is that causes us to see that he has no equal and certainly no one that exceeds him. But then the Hebrews writer gives us a third answer to that when he says the answer to why Jesus is because of what he's done. I mean, it's a dramatic thing that he shifts his attention from his power and his position immediately to his purification. He goes from talking about how grand and great he is to say when he had made purification for sins... A subtle yet dramatic shift in his thought. You see, he is to be followed, he is to be accepted, not only because of his ability, but because of his great grace. It is at the heart of the gospel message he made purification for sins. The Hebrews writer is going to say something in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, and almost every religion believes this. That without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The, the forerunner, that which pointed ahead to Christianity, certainly believed that. And that's the writer's point in Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says that there is a remembrance of sin and these sacrifices that are made. And when you come to make those sacrifices in the giving of them, there's a reminder of sins made year after year. If the sacrifices of animals took care of it, then they would not continually offer them year after year. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you would not, but a body you prepared me, by the which will we are sanctified, or we are set apart for God's use by the offering of the body of Christ. Many people, when they look at Jesus, they say, He just came to be a teacher of morality. Or he came to be a martyr for a good cause. But that's not it at all. Jesus came in the form of us in order to be a substitute sacrifice for us and what those animal sacrifices could not do, he did once for all, for all time, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, by the offering of himself. I've been to Bangkok, Thailand on a few occasions and it's interesting how different cultures have their own rituals on the calendar And one of the big ones on the Thai calendar is the Water Purification Festival. And it has more than one facet to it. There's kind of a playful uh, aspect. So if you're ever in Bangkok during the time of the Water Festival and somebody dumps water on you, they're not being ugly. It's part of what they do. They throw water on each other. But there's a serious side to that. It's called Song Kran. And what they'll do is they'll wash their houses and they'll wash their Buddha statues. They'll wash everything because they believe in that. What they're doing is they're washing away the impurity of bad thoughts and and bad acts. 
and that this takes care of the things that have happened and it prepares them for a fresh start in the year. And I appreciate their sincerity, but I also see that there is within all of us this desire to be made clean, to have those wrongs that we carry around with us, the guilt of that removed from us. And yet the Hebrews writer says there's one way and the way that that occurs is by the sacrifice of Christ once for all time. Why Jesus? Because he could do what nothing and no one else could with regard to the sin problem that we share. Why Jesus? May I suggest that there's a fourth answer, and that's because of where he is. You know, the Hebrews writer is not laying down meaningless words. Everything that he says here is building the case of why Jesus is the one that we should follow. And that is because of the fact that he is finished with his work. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He came here to redeem us. He successfully finished his mission and he sat down. But he's not resting. He's reigning at the right hand of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 33 and 34. He is in fact king, king of kings and lord of lords. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15. We choose whether or not he is our king. But as we're deciding in that, we need to understand that whatever we do with him, he is in fact the king. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When you look at, at Hebrews 10 and verse 11, the Hebrews writer says that those priests under the old law stood daily ministering in their service. As far as I know, there's no chair for the priest in the tabernacle or the temple. They are scurrying around and doing their work, but Jesus was successful. He was triumphant. His sacrifice was sufficient so that he could say, as he says, as he's dying on the cross, it is finished, John 19 and verse 30. There's nothing left to be done in order to affect our salvation. He reigns. I appreciate what Jim said in his prayer. I want you to think very closely about what he said, and that is that we as children of God have peace no matter what's happening in this world. I bet if I ask you, some of you could tell me how many days there are until the election. It's 30-something, I know that much. And, and I suppose that you're probably monitoring that, watching one of the major cable news networks, probably, one way or the other, whether it's actually in streaming or on TV or through the internet. You ever stop to think that no matter who you're watching, that they're in business to keep you upset? They, if they don't keep you angry about what's going on, is it, have you ever thought about that's the fact why that we don't have 24-7 pictures of little puppies walking through little green fields? It's because people don't want to see that. I mean, they'll watch it for a little while, but they don't want to watch it 24-7. But if you have those folks who are in control of the message telling you you need to be upset, afraid, and angry, then you'll keep watching. They know that. They, they, have to, they have to have their sponsors pay them, and so that's why they do that. But do you realize how contrary that is to what we have because of Jesus he sits at the right hand of God. He reigns. His work is complete. And we have overcome through him. And so there's nothing that this world is going to do to us, nothing that's going to be decided in this nation that is going to upset that. It's not going to alter our eternal destiny if we walk in the light of Jesus. 1 John 1 and verse 7. Why Jesus? Because no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens in the life of my loved one, that may... Turn my world upside down. Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God. And nothing is going to make that not the case. 
You know, when you consider what the Hebrews writer says, there's really absolutely no reason why we would give any other answer than Jesus. When it comes to what he said, surely they were right when they said, never spake any man as this man spoke. John chapter 7 and verse 46. When it comes to who he is, surely Peter and John were right when they said, neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. When it comes to what he has done, surely we would say with Mark 7 and verse 37, he has done all things well. And when it comes to where he is, surely we will hold hold fast to the confession of our faith. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. When we just look at that preamble of Hebrews, certainly as we reinforce it going throughout the rest of the epistle, we would say, why not Jesus? But the greater question that is worthy of our consideration is, why would he choose you and me? But that's the beautiful message of grace. That there is no one outside of the focus and the intense feeling of his love. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to choose him. He has chosen us in him according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. It's a woman named Bobby Oscarson who left her home in Longmont, Colorado. She was on her way to Arkansas and on her way there, she stopped on her way to Hot Springs near there is the uh, Crater of Diamonds State Park. And as she went into there, she'd never been there before and on, I think it was her second scoop of looking for diamonds, she dug out the eight and a half carat diamond that she was able to name the Esperanza diamond. Esperanza was the name of her niece and it was also the Spanish word for hope. It's worth a million dollars, by the way. But wouldn't you expect to find a diamond in a place called the Crater of Diamonds? I mean, if you're going to find one anywhere, isn't that where you'd find it? If you want hope... Where are you going to find it? In a world that preaches and promises only darkness and despair and that this, the life that you have here is the end of the line. That's all there is. That's the alternative to Jesus. But he is the heart and the center of hope. And he wants to extend it to us. He would say to us, come to me and I will give you rest. Have you made that answer to that question, why Jesus, in the affirmative, by giving him your life? Are you living with him being the one in control of your life? So easy for us to get distracted by this world and what it has to offer. But Jesus says, no matter what other answer people try to give, the only right answer is me. Maybe this morning you're ready to act on your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. You're ready to repent of your sins and to become his child, the child of God, to have Jesus be your elder brother, the atonement for your sins, for him to add you to his church, which he'll do when you're baptized into his body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. If you're ready to do that, there's nothing going on today that's more important to us than that. We want to help you to make that decision. If you're a child of God and you have forgotten how much you need and lean on him and you've tried to cope in some other way, And you're realizing the futility of that and maybe you're ready to come back to him. Maybe you want to express that publicly. If so, we're going to sing a song of invitation to encourage you and invite you. And if you're subject, won't you come as we stand and sing?